Hi, and welcome to the Miseducation of the SLP. I am Ingrid, and I am your host. And we are back for episode five. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Season two has been jumped off with such great guests. We've had Jay, we've had Natalie, and today I am bringing on Meredith, who many of you may know from the Informed SLP, and we're going to be talking about some areas that we're a bit miseducated on in regards to the business platform. We might also be discussing a little bit of work that we can do for advocacy within our profession to help support and expand what we're trying to infuse in the most optimal and knowledgeable manner, which is definitely Meredith's forte and less so mine. (laughs) Um, But Meredith, I'd love it if you would introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about you. Sure. Um, Yeah, my name is Meredith Harold. I am a former school-based SLP, former university faculty member, Um, And when I started the Informed SLP, the intent of it was basically just to talk to people about our field's research in a way that was easy to consume and efficient for practicing SLPs. And it ended up turning into um, a big thing. And so now there's just under 60 of us who work at the Informed SLP. It's my full-time job now. I don't see clients anymore. I don't teach at the university anymore. And all of us basically just work together to translate our field's research for practicing clinicians. Um, I also, it's important to me as someone who operates within our field and is making a career within our field to dedicate a certain amount of my, you know, work time to other things as well that are unpaid service type things. And so I have been the president of CASHA, which is our state association. I also will, you know, continue to be involved with CASHA over time because state organizations are really important to me. And I also take on a lot of little projects, as Ingrid knows, (laughs) here and there. So um, I work at csdisseminate.com too, which is um, the objective of it is to get our field's science out to clinicians, essentially. Um, And that's a volunteer thing. And then I end up getting my hands involved in a million things all the time because I'm one of those people who's really passionate about making progress. And so one of the things that I've been really interested in lately is just our field's businesses and the ethics of our field's businesses and how we all, you know, who are business owners uh, contribute to the health of our field and how we can continue to do better in our space, um, which, and it's, I, I think the timing of it for me is, you know, I have been running a business in our field now for about six years. I've been doing it full time for about two and a half or so, maybe, Um And there's just been so many lessons for me and things that I've learned as a business owner and things that I've started to see sort of like operating on that side of our field and being like, oh, so this is how it works. Okay, (laughs) so this is how it works. So that's sort of my background as well as the things that I'm spending my time doing right now. Awesome. Yeah. So one of the most recent um, things that I've noticed with you kind of discussing um, are some aspects when 
SLPs are really trying to develop their businesses and go into the sector that other people that are not SLPs have kind of capitalized on really out there. Like you can definitely create this business doing things that have no SLP involvement whatsoever and sell to the SLPs out there and advocate for your, for your items and things like that. What have you basically kind of felt were some really intense red flags for SLPs trying to move into those spaces of business as well in comparison to people that are business minded and create businesses for SLPs that know the ins and outs? Like, what would you say is the biggest thing that we, as we're moving into that, need to understand? Mm, like as SLPs themselves start to start, um, begin to start businesses? I, just in the sense of, yeah, because like we are go- we are taught in school about being SLPs. We're not taught about how to be business owners. So Correct. when we're moving into this um, experience, like, is it better for us to start consulting with people? Like, what would you advise or how would, what is the thought process? Because there are so many people in the space of selling to SLPs with businesses that aren't SLPs, um, you know, they have the wherewithal, they know what they're doing and we don't. So how do you advise people in that? Yeah. So, um, first of all, I actually think that SLP run businesses have a huge advantage over people who try to enter our niche and then try to sell things to SLPs. Um, honestly, SLP run businesses crush those other businesses almost every single time because SLPs understand what SLPs need. Um, So I would say that anyone who's an SLP and is sort of wanting to get into that space of creating courses, tools, products, resources, whatever for fellow SLPs, the business side of it is scary because you feel so incompetent and you feel like, I don't have an MBA. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't understand how taxes work. I don't understand what's legal. I don't under, you know, but um, just, I would say, feel comfortable knowing that the tools and products that SLPs are capable of creating just blow everyone else out of the water. So um, it ends up just um, really becoming like a process of being comfortable knowing that you won't know all the things and making sure to like reach out to other humans about the stuff that you don't know. Like I've spent so much time consulting with um, other entrepreneurs in my city and other professionals and everything about stuff that I don't know. And every single year I'm still learning things that I'm like, oh crap, I didn't know I was supposed to be doing this this way and end up, you know, fixing it or whatever. Um, But And I think that the messages for people who want to be entrepreneurs and people who are consuming the products of entrepreneurs are um, really different. (laughs) Oh, how so? Because business owners can do whatever they want. Um, And that's actually one of the things that has struck me the most about being an entrepreneur is how much freedom I have to do absolutely whatever the heck I want to. (laughs) I can create whatever products I want in whatever way that I want. I can create whatever schedule I want. I can pay my staff whatever I want. I can work with other people however I want. I can put ads in whatever places I want and say whatever I want to say. Like American 
cold and, and, oh my gosh, the freedom and flexibility that you start to have when it comes to even just things like filing your own income taxes and stuff like that. Like it just consistently floors me every single year, how much American society is built around letting business owners just do whatever the heck they want to, which as a business owner, I think is cool because of the flexibility that gives you. And I do think that our field as a whole, the more SLPs who understand how to be business owners in and of themselves, even if it's just like solo private practitioners, you know, who are like starting their own business to provide services to clients. Um, I think that it it's huge, hugely advantageous to own your own business anytime you possibly can. Um, but the, so the freedom is good, but like the freedom I also think is terrifying because nobody's in charge of checking our field's businesses, right? <laughs> so like, it's cool as, from a business owner's standpoint and that like we could make whatever decisions we want, do whatever we want. But from a consumer standpoint, I also think it's important for SLP consumers to understand that when you're looking at like a landscape of options in our field, whether it's like various CEU companies you could be buying from and various tools and products you could be buying from and stuff. Uh, clinicians a lot of times think that like, I don't know, that there's some sort of like behind the scenes rules making it so that things have to be a certain way, but they really don't. The businesses are making their own choices and dictating everything that ends up being presented as options to clinicians. So when there's things that SLPs feel like our field needs um, and should have, and it doesn't exist or, you know, like it, it's because somebody isn't giving it to you, <laughs> you know? Essentially, uh, essentially. So we have to kind of get creative and provide those things that we understand is a niche. Like it yeah. really is an opportunity to, to make some growth in yeah. our, you know, service-based operations. Yeah. Um, now in the sense of like, when you're in the beginning stages and you're trying to straddle between being a spouse, a mother, potentially, um, you know, uh, employee, like, how do you, how did you personally juggle all those different components while you were developing your business? Because that's a lot of where stress, I think, is in, in you know, interjected in the process for SLPs to take on anything additional. Whenever, right. I, whenever I'm talking about advocacy from an SLP, um, I, th there's some that are like, yeah, I'm on board. I'd love to. But their life conditions can sometimes be a little bit lighter and they don't have all that additional stuff. But yeah. There's such a large portion of our discipline that are mothers and spouses and, you know, and they're working so hard to juggle all these different hats. Like, how do you also introduce the idea of developing a business and being able to make it thrive and give it the time it needs? Yeah, I think two things are very, two things are true at once <laughs> in this that I think is really difficult for people to re reconcile. One thing that's true is I have um, endless energy for work. I really do. I've always been that way. And I've always been someone who escaped the rest of my life through work and really enjoyed work. Like my parents never had to check on me if I was getting good grades. If anything, like they needed to make sure that I was like getting, like getting up from my desk. You know what I mean? And so like for me personally, like 
pushing really hard and putting in really long hours on projects that I've deemed important to me because they're part of like the work that I've decided I want to do has never been a problem for me. So, and I noticed that similarly in a lot of entrepreneurs, they tend to have a lot of energy and drive to push really freaking hard when it comes to putting in the labor to get things, something done, right? That is true. The flip side of that, that's also true is the most privileged people have the most ability to find those hours, right? And it's not just about like, and it's all the little details that go together um, where, you know, um, like I've always had a spouse who had a decent income that I could lean on if I ever made a mistake and things didn't go well. So that, so I never have had to be afraid about money. I also have twins, which, you know, um, I actually started my business when my twins were babies, which sounds kind of like crazy, like, holy crap, like, you know, you were like putting in 60 hour work weeks when you had infant twins. Yes, I was. But also my infant twins didn't have any health problems, none, you know? And so like, that's another layer of like fortune and privilege. Also, my family lives really close to me. So I have a lot of people within an hour of where I live who at any time, if I need something, and I have many times called them and been like, Grandma Cindy, come over and watch the kids for a day because I've got to get this thing done. You know what I mean? And so um, when people are asking, like, how do I find the time or energy to juggle these things? Um, I, I, I don't know what to say because, you know, if my life had been different in any way, like if I had had one of my kids who had significant health problems or if I happened to live farther away from my family, or if I happened to be the breadwinner, I never would have started my business. I never would have, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like these two things are like simultaneously true. And one thing that really bothers me in the business space is how nobody ever talks about the fact that most people who start businesses and end up thriving and able to carry them forward, they never talk about the life circumstances that made it possible that they could. They always talk about how like they hustled hard and they just put their nose to the ground and worked like crazy, which like, yes, that's true, you know, but it's like you have to have, you almost, it's, it's like you have to have the runway open too. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like you got to run down the runway. You're going down the runway, but the runway also has to be open for you. And nobody ever wants to talk about the fact that like, oh, the runway was open for this person. Like, yes, she pushed hard, but her runway was open. You know what I mean? Um, so <laughs> that's what I mean by like, I never know what to say when people are like, how do I find the time and energy to do this? Like, part of me wants to be like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know because the runway was open for me in a lot of ways. So I don't necessarily know, know how to clear it. And I don't even know that I would have been a person who cleared it if it wasn't already open for me. You know what I mean? I do. And I do kind of put it into the components of like, everyone is actually operating at the level of what they're most conditioned for. If you're yeah. constantly your entire life used to opening up the runway, you have the capacity to do it with greater ease. Yeah. You, you don't have the tools, the strength or the capability to be able to open up your own runway. But if you're a marginalized individual, you've kind of always lived your life in that manner. And mm -hmm. so 
that's why I wouldn't necessarily discuss it in the sense of like, I had so much privilege in this opportunity to be able to do it because my ability to have the right things aligned to make it possible to push this hard were available to me because I think everyone adjusts to their circumstances. And Mm -hmm. it's just more about whether or not it's an intrinsic or internal type of process, because I mean, I have none of the same, um, you know, respond life responsibilities with a spouse or kids that you have, but people still ask me, how do I fit it all in with, you know, spending time to do the writing, spend my time to do the podcast, spend my time to do my job as a recruiter, which is a time consuming experience and spend my time to be an advocate, write letters, go to meetings. Like everyone's like, where do you fit it all in? And plus have fun and randomly date because God knows I have to fit that in. Mm -hmm. And um, even though it's, it's a horror show, Meredith. Dating is a horror show. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like challenges too. Like I'm, I'm a person that sort of likes, um, I like intensity and I like challenges. And so I believe you that it's a horror show, but like, I feel like you're that type of person too, where you sort of like taking on challenges. Does it feel like a kind of interesting uh, thing to take on? Absolutely. It's like fascinating to me because I sit back and yeah. I'm like, this isn't going well and it hasn't been, but I'm going to keep doing it. And be, eventually it will yield what I'm looking for. And I think I apply that with everything in my life. And so if I really wanted to do like, I've, I've owned a business probably for more years than I can think of. I don't actively do a lot in it. This is actually part of the expenses, the podcast and the writing and all that stuff, all those things kind of play in part with the business that I've had. Um, and I just revamped it now to be the advocate SLP business. And it really was just small, uh, connections with, um, other people that were in business as well. But I've always wanted to just have like a baby business. Cause I only had a small amount of endurance for that kind of thing, because the energy and the spaces that I do enjoy being challenged or that I do want to kind of break through require a lot more of my investment. So I have to hierarchy that on so many different realms and pick what makes sense for me. So it is, it is a a choice of prioritization for me to create things that I want happening. Um, But I don't know how you do that as a mother and as a wife, because those are such major important life aspects. Like you don't want necessarily so much of your life to be consumed by your profession. You do want a good portion of your life to be, you know, living it with the people that you chose and particularly for you made from your body. Yeah. You want to apply a good amount of time to that because that's where all the quality comes from. So it's those people that I kind of, like almost want to go, how would you find yourself? Like, do you just need that personality or it's really going to go by the wayside? I mean, I just time block things. (laughs) So like the realistic answer to it is I just time block things and I try to not allow myself to do things like work too many evenings per week, you know? so that I can spend time with my family. Um, So everything, my my life is highly organized (laughs) and everything just fits into 
chunks, you know, and every so often when I have to do something for work in the evening or whatever, like I end up pulling time from my daytime. So, so that, I mean, so that's how I do it. I also like, I don't see my husband as a time sink. (laughs) I don't know how to describe this. Like my, my children, my children, I definitely set aside specific time to spend time with like them and him, but like, I don't, I don't do anything for my husband. (laughs) Like some people do. I don't do anything for my husband. Like to me, he's like a partner I've chosen to live with who, who like I spend my leisure time with, but I don't, but he, he really doesn't take that much of my time to be perfectly honest. (laughs) Don't you go on dates with your husband? We do. We do. But that's really not that much time in the grand scheme of things. You know what I mean? So like, we, we'll go out just him and I, uh, you know, a couple times per month or whatever, because babysitters are freaking expensive. And I don't like making my family drive all the way to our house that often. Um, and like, we'll, you know, in, in family time in the evening, like, we'll be sitting together and like chatting with each other. So we're talking to each other, you know, a couple hours hanging out together every single day. But like, that's so threaded into my own leisure time that I don't know, I don't really see. I don't really see it as a time sink, I guess. I don't know. Every moment is a time suck in some capacity. It's just more enjoyable or easier or like, it's more like a leisure time. Like there's, there was such a beautiful um, statement on IG where he was like, yeah, when I say I'm busy, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing anything. It's just that I don't have the time for you. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. And all of my, all of my like family community leisure time, all just sort of like threads together. So it's really more like I'm blocking out chunks of time for like my professional and advocacy life and blocking out chunks of time for my family slash leisure life. Um, And that's how I keep it all together. Okay. And that's a beautiful way of like circling it all in, in its, you know, perspective of it all. Yeah. Um, What in your mind, um, do you kind of come across when it comes to where SLPs are really miseducated, especially in the business aspect of things? Because I've heard and seen and discussed with you little things like, um, you know, not being able to really vet vet out where they're getting their information, like CEUs especially, or they're not able to, there's no resources for them to be like, is this quality? Is this not quality? Like, how do you, where are there spaces to get information about that so that you're not just spending money recklessly? Yeah. So talking about like where SLPs as consumers of businesses are um, most miseducated. Yeah. Or being taken advantage of. Yeah. Because of the lack of knowledge. Being taken advantage of in the pricing of our field's products. (laughs) Like, um, So I I can, I mean, I can just like drop lots of like little nuggets here. So one of them is pricing of products. So in general, businesses are taught to maximize their profits as much as possible. And um, they're coached to do so, trained to do so, socialized to do so, advised to do so. So, but in the SLP space, SLPs aren't wealthy and don't generally feel as though they're making boatloads of money, right? Like most SLPs in general feel like 
they're maybe making just enough money. Some of them have, you know, are making more, some of them are making less, you know, whatever. Um, but the pricing of our field's products, I cannot emphasize this enough. It is entirely pretend based on how much money somebody wants to make off of SLPs or thinks they can make off of SLPs. So when you see a product that's overpriced, so many consumers use it as a signal of quality. So they'll be like, oh, this two-day course, $1,000, like, wow, this must be really high quality. Not necessarily. It might be the case that this person just figured out a way to market it really well and convinced SLPs to buy it. And SLPs waste so much money on products and tools and courses and everything under the sun that um, is simply really well marketed to them. Like, <laughs> I would say that's the biggest area of like misunderstanding of SLPs is that like pricing is pretend. And businesses, it's their job to convince you that the thing that they're selling to you is the best of the best of the best. And some of them are just really awesome freaking marketers. But when it comes down to it, the quality um, and of the content is not actually that good. And sometimes it actually doesn't even really do much for the SLP. Like the real way to judge whether or not the money you've spent on something was well spent is if after you spend it, you know, three months, six months later, think to yourself, okay, did that change anything about how I practice? Like, did that change anything about how I practice? And oh. if so, how much value did it really bring to me? Like, did it really revolutionize the way that I'm doing pediatric feeding, for example? And now I not only have a lot more options for my clients, but my clients are making more progress, you know, da, 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 da. or did it really not change anything? And I just jumped through a hoop and paid money to jump through that hoop, you know? So I would say that's the, in my opinion, the biggest thing is that it's, it's yeah, price, prices pretend <laughs> and you're being heavily marketed to at all times by our fields businesses. Mm. Um, as far as how to judge quality, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's also not easy because like, for example, um, so in my business, like we niche down on translating our fields research, right? So we're reading a hundred percent of it and basically just explaining it to SLPs. Like that's all we do. Like, if you want to know what the research says, come to us, that's it. We don't offer anything else. You know, that's just what we do. And so for us, it's really easy to see whether or not other companies are actually, um, telling the truth when they say like, we've got evidence-based courses for you. We've got evidence-based products and tools for you. Um, but it's, it would be, a, it's a lot of labor for clinicians to be able to see that unless they're, you know, heavily consuming, um, evidence as well. Um, other misunderstandings, um, you're even like your employers are, the same as people who are selling you products and tools, like your employers, their job is to maximize the amount of money that's left in their bank account at the end of the day, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I'm really loving actually how much clinicians are starting to push back on things like salary, PTO, benefits packages, productivity requirements, caseload requirements, because again, all of it, I cannot emphasize enough, is pretend. <laughs> like none of it has to be that way. It is that way because somebody who has a business decided to make it that way. Um, and so the more 
uh, the more SLPs in general understand about the businesses that they're working for and the businesses that they're buying from, the more equipped they'll be in general to not only make, you know, smart and informed purchases, but also to be able to push back on their workplace and be like, no, I'm not doing this thing that you asked me to do because it's made up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's made up. I don't have to. You're just choosing for me to. And I'm saying no. Or, you know, so. Um, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> the question is, though, like, how do you like I? so like how do you, then do you get SLPs more informed about business? But I honestly I feel like I'm seeing a lot of it happening. I'm seeing a lot more conversations on social media among SLPs where they're saying, hey, how much are you making? Hey, how much are you making? Hey, does your boss require you to do this? Oh, they don't? Gosh, maybe I should stop letting my boss require me to do that. Oh, your boss pays you for, you know, admin time? Mine doesn't. Shoot, I'm getting screwed here. You know what I mean? And so I actually think the process of SLPs understanding the like financial systems in which they're working I feel like I am seeing that change. I'd love to see it happen faster, but um, I feel like I'm seeing some of it. Mm. Well, that is the benefit of social media, I think. Mm-hmm. Connecting people to folks that they don't otherwise have access to. Yes, that and the fact that there's so much um, being put out there about being entrepreneurs and being able to um, do a lot of research and looking at all the comments and, you know, just so much. And everyone has an opinion. God knows mm-hmm. everyone has an opinion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just the uh, the amount of information that's available to us as consumers Um I, I used to go to the store and buy a dress and now I can hear who else wore the dress, what they think of the material, how they felt about the fit before I ever do anything. So there's just a lot more opportunity in that to become a bit more informed as, as I would, would call it. Yeah. Um, in the spaces that I've been kind of poking around in, um, with and around you. One of the things that I've been seeing, and we still kind of keep coming back to this, is this idea that ASHA is not a business in the manner of like being a social advocate and in a good way. And I'm wondering in general, like why are we holding accountability for businesses in the spaces of social and political arenas. And I really want to know like your take on it as a business owner who wants to make sure that you're supporting and being there for your consumers. Like, how do you feel about some of these breakdowns that are constantly occurring in regards to what people are feeling is obligated by our national organization and other businesses, maybe even our employers, like on things that are more social or politically based. Um, uh, <laughs> I feel like you just asked me like five questions in one. I love it. Um, so first of all, I think it's when, like when, when consumers are pushing on businesses and ASHA is a business, um, 
one thing to take in mind first is whether or not they even can push on the business, okay? So like, for example, my business, SLPs choose to either buy from us or not, right? So there's a certain amount of if we don't respect SLPs, treat them well, listen to them, respond to them, I will. we will lose our customer base and nobody will be buying from us, right? ASHA is a little bit unique in that most SLPs think they have to belong to ASHA. They think they have to have their C's, you know, that type of thing. Um, and so there's sort of this like history of ASHA not necessarily having to take seriously the waves of SLPs feedback like an average business would. ASHA is more like a business without competition, at least in perception. So um, I do think sometimes that like some of the, I, I, th I think that we're at a weird place with our national organization where I don't think that they adequately listen to clinicians or respond to them. And I also understand why they don't because they think that clinicians will pay them anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so there's, yeah, so, so there's, there's, there's that. Um, but then also to a certain extent, um, just the whole concept of pushing on businesses in general, whether or not it's one like mine or one like ASHA in order to like make political statements about this, that, or the other, or make a statement about this social issue or da, 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 da. I think it's important to realize how performative businesses are and that what you're basically asking for them is to continue to be performative, right? So like, um, when somebody asks for our business to put out a statement about topic X um, that is not very closely related to the type of business that we do and is kind of really not our place to necessarily be making statements on, because not because it's not important, but because it's not our area of expertise. Um, you're basically asking us to, which, you know, it's like, I'd be happy to, like, I'd be happy to for every single thing under the sun. I'll tell you what I as an owner think, and we can plast, you know, put plaster a statement up on social media. So SLPs are absolutely certain what the owner of this business thinks, right? But that doesn't actually do anything because I can say that I care about topic X and that I feel a certain way, but do nothing in my business to support that position whatsoever. Spend no money resources toward that whatsoever. So <laughs> I, I, and that's what I sort of think is funny sometimes about consumers pushing on businesses to like make statements. Statements don't do anything, <laughs> right? Like what you really need to be pushing on businesses for is like, what are you doing? Not what are you saying, but what are you doing? And I, I would love to see that shift happen um, because in my personal opinion and most most people in the business space do not agree with me. In my personal opinion, I think consumers have the right to ask businesses absolutely anything they want to, like absolutely anything they want to. So if you want to send a business, you know, an email or a message on social media that says, what are you actively doing about X? Are you donating any money toward X? Are you, you know, spending any like time contacting the people you know about X? Like, I think it's perfectly acceptable to ask those things. And when we ask those things, then we start to realize how dumb the statements are, honestly. Wow. <laughs> you know, because it's like, oh, right, because they're not actually doing anything. We were just asking them to say what they think. Nobody cares what we think. Pe like people should be caring what we're doing, you know? Yeah. Is that, that kind of answer like what you were? 
Yes, because because I really do. I sit back and I think, you know, there's a lot of social things that have happened, especially, you know, in the perspective in the perspective of the seat that I'm in as a a black woman, I'm like every few months (laughs) there is something happening Mm -hmm. that is affecting um, either women, black people, immigrants. I'm like, I'm kind of spread across all of these different interests. Um, And even down to like sexuality and, and people's perspectives on the LGBTQ community, like, there are so many areas that I'm like, oh, I fall into all of these places of interest that are political and socially minded. And if I were to look to ASHA for actionable things, I look at their history, not their future, mostly because, and all businesses, um, I don't feel that I as an individual have any interest in trying to push something that is overtly ineffective from yeah. a historical standpoint. I, I find that to be a really like banging my head up against a wall type of experience. However, I do have peers that feel that the only way to push the needle within the organization is to continue to, to ask questions and have discussions. And I'm like, where historically has that ever been true? Because I'm, I'm flabbergasted by people feeling that way, especially when we have such a huge hit with Roe versus Wade. And I'm like, are you seeing what I understand about history as a full picture? You can't talk this thing, logic this thing into existence because they will walk it back. Not because we haven't still continued to fight for the progress and discuss the progress, but because we're really not doing what we need to in the primary sense of functionally changing our society at the fundamental level. And we don't hold accountable to that level of advocacy within just who we raise, who we talk to, how we change them. And it's important to do that with our businesses as well. And so I don't employ behaviors that I find that historically have clearly told me are ineffective on a repeated and generational basis. And so that's, that's where... I have that roadblock. I want to make new inroads. I want to do new things. And it's, I think, harder for people to process, how can I do a new thing that is better and will change because it'll be founded on these new and appropriate beliefs versus continuing to look back to the structures and to the businesses that are already established with already the power and try to change what's already fundamentally broken there. Like I, I don't know what the best course of action is, but I do know I don't want to repeat history because it keeps biting us as a society in the butt. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, yeah, I think like the, the biggest thing that I wanted to kind of touch base on in that sense is like, how do we get people to understand that if you focus in on the small, your community, the people around you, your schools, your you know hospitals and your businesses in that area where you might be more influential, more 
capable, you might create like a little oasis, which is what Dave Chappelle kind of taught me because his hometown is like in the middle of nowhere and everybody is, it's like a great environment for him. He's like living the dream because he kind of created his community in that and it makes sense. And so like, if I can do that, if you can do that, if we all as functional members of society can do that, then whatever is happening on the social and political things, they will begin to quiet because we're affecting our communities and those will reverberate to our neighbors and so on and so forth. So I'm just trying to figure out like, what is the best course of action? Where is the best place to apply energy to be effective? Yeah. I mean, I sort of feel like the first step perhaps is recognizing our tendency to do this, recognizing our tendency to rather than want to deal with our own household, neighborhood, community, we always want to go national first, right? We want to make, we want big national organizations, big national businesses to like make statements and do things. We always basically, it's basically like looking out instead of looking in, like looking all the way to the top rather than looking at all the layers between us and the top. Um, And it's just sort of nonsensical. Like, um, like Roe v. Wade, like analogy to it to me is when like, you know, you've got a white mom who decides to go protest downtown about Roe v. Wade and, you know, holding a sign saying, you know, like women's rights um, to make their own choices need to be protected, you know, and she believes that to her core. And so she goes, you know, downtown in her city to hold a sign about it. But then has to be home by five in order to like make dinner and pack up a beer cooler because her husband, John has got a softball game and she's got to take all the food and beer to John and all of his buddies. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, 80% of John's softball team is voting against what she was just protesting for. And she's there feeding them and supplying them with drinks and never once bringing up the issue with them whatsoever. Why? Because it's more uncomfortable because it's so much more uncomfortable to think about what's happening in your own household and in your own communities than it is to just be another person clicking like on social media, voting a certain way on, you know, some Instagram poll or like carrying a sign for two hours downtown before you return to the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's what makes the cell phone such a comfortable advocacy method because it's like, oh, I'm going to turn on my cell phone and I'm going to do some powerful shit on my phone, but then I'm going to click off and I'm going to go back to my daily life and change nothing in my daily life, you know? And Mm so, so as far as when it comes to like, you know, what can all of us do individually? I feel like the first step is recognizing that we're avoiding the most essential and hardest part about change, which is dealing with the people closest to us, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we all need to kind of process food for thought as a potential avenue for affecting change in a way that we actually want to see and experience it. Because, yeah. you know, my natural reaction when something federal happens is to go to like my local commissioner and sit yeah. down in the office and be like, what are you doing to make sure that our community is not that shit crazy and um but in the whole grand scheme of things it is something 
a food for thought. Like how much are we relying on our businesses to make the changes that we ourselves aren't able to really do? We want to put pressure in places that really, you know, we have the power. We are intrinsically capable of changing our own circumstances. And the more we continue to operate with the mindset that we don't, the harder it becomes to actually affect anything. Um, I was listening to Erica Badu who made the statement um, that she was listening to this philosopher about the society as a whole or people as a whole. 85% of people are sheep, 10% of people are the creatives and the leaders, and 5% of the individuals are the observers that document and record. Mm-hmm. I think in the spaces of this community and of this society, you have to determine where do you fall? Where do you fall? What changes have you created and achieved in your own life? And are you an individual that just wants the most comfortable path? Um, Or do you think the path that you're taking um, is the hardest and deserves all the effort? And what does it yield when you put in all that effort? Do you see a result that makes you feel comfortable and happy at the end of the day? And that's, I think, everybody's journey in it. And so we all have to make decisions on how we navigate that. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Like what, like (laughs) if you keep doing what you're doing, what does it yield at the end? And is that what you meant to do? You know? Absolutely. It's the biggest question that anyone out there needs to, you know, process because as much as I love all this like uproar in the streets, upset, frustrated, like, That decision that was put out there, none of that is going to do anything to change that decision. It's done. Mm -hmm. So the next stages that we're doing to make sure that we can course correct really have to do with what our states are going to do and how much we can really affect our little sectors of that. And, you know, we don't have really the power to push the Supreme Court at this point unless the United States of America is going to sue the Supreme Court, like mm-hmm. all the women of the United States. So it's mm-hmm. that that we really need to be well-versed in what are we actually trying to accomplish when we're discussing all these things. I love all the education, but more needs to be done about what can be done now because there are women that are now dying or having challenges or freaking out or needing to escape. And we're not providing those solutions for them other than go to a state where it's legal. Yeah. We need to find another course of action um, in general. We really do. Um, But we're running into some long times. So we probably will revisit a conversation, Meredith, you and I, um, further down the road. I've loved this one. I thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Yeah. I always enjoy speaking with you. So thanks for having me. Of course. And guys, if you want to reach out, feel free to hit me up on my IG or my Facebook, you know, the Miseducated SLP. Um, Be happy to discuss anything. And um, until next time, have a good one. Bye.